In this lesson, we will move on to the second part of leases, which is the creation and termination of leases. Now, at the very outset, we need to identify that much like most other areas in relation to property law, there are two main types of leases. You have a legal lease and an equitable lease. Now, the distinction between a legal and an equitable lease is quite simple uh, to decipher, to understand. In terms of a legal lease, there are several requirements that have to be fulfilled. Firstly, there must be a deed in place. And if the lease itself, if the purported lease is greater than seven years, it must be registered. Now, these can be created orally or in writing if the lease itself, if the purported lease, is less than three years, as per Section 54.2 of the Law of Property Act of 1925. Now, the requirement for an equitable lease is less formal, so to speak. It's the same almost as a legal lease, but without proper formalities being present. These are mostly based on contract, for instance. Now, there are several reasons why a lease would be categorized as equitable and not legal. Some of these are, for example, where the leaseholder or the purported leaseholder tried creating a legal lease but failed, and therefore it falls within the category of an equitable lease. Now remember, it doesn't not become a lease. It's either a legal or an equitable lease. It has to fall within either category. And if the requirements, as we discussed earlier in street, are not fulfilled, then it might be a license. Secondly, it might only be an agreement and there might be no contract in place, for instance. Thirdly, the person creating the lease holds only an equitable estate. Now, there are several covenants which are known as usual covenants that ride along with the proprietary right of owning a lease. These can be separated into uh, the usual covenants of the tenant and the usual covenants of the landlord. So in terms of the usual covenants of the tenant, you have the requirement to pay rent on time, to allow the landlord re-entry for non-payment of rent. So it's the first condition being uh, not fulfilled. And thirdly, you cannot assign or sublet this is an optional thing based on the contract itself and the understanding between the parties. Conversely, in relation to the landlord, you have certain implied covenants. So the implied covenants in relation to the landlord can be separated into several distinct areas. So we'll look at each one in turn. On a general context, you have quiet possession, non-derogation, and repair and fitness for habitation. So let's look at each one in turn. Quiet possession. The landlord must not interfere with the tenant's enjoyment of property. Have a look at Pereira and Vandia for this particular notion. Now, in relation to this same quiet possession component, merely inconveniencing the tenant is insufficient, as was held in Southwark and Mills. Both these cases are available in your case summaries, so I urge you to have a look at them to understand this component of the general context of an usual covenant in relation to the landlord. Non-derogation. The landlord must not prevent the tenant from using property for the purpose for which it was purchased. So if the contract 
as well as the lease stipulates a particular purpose of use, the landlord cannot derogate from it, cannot prevent the tenant from utilizing the land for that particular purpose. Repair and fitness for habitation. There is no general rule in relation to this that the landlord must repair. But once again, this might fall within the contract or the stipulated terms of the lease. Now, there are several common law covenants as well, usual covenants. You have the first outline in Irvin. The general upkeep of premises is implied in common law. Now, we saw earlier in relation to mills that there is no general rule that the landlord must repair the property. But here in common law, you have a general requirement to upkeep the premises. The property must be reasonably fit for habitation at commencement of the term. Smith and Marable outlined this particular dicta and as you can see, it has somewhat of a converse effect to that what we discussed earlier in relation to Mills. Have a look at both these cases which are available in your case summaries for a better exposition of it. Now, besides the general and the common law requirements, as in the general and the common law covenants, you have certain stipulations made by statute, made by pieces of legislation or instruments of legislation for that matter. Section 11 through section 16 of the Landlord and Tenant Act of 1985 requires that the landlord keeps in good repair whatever the amenities. Sections 8 through 10 of the Landlord and Tenant Act of 1985 requires that the premises is fit for human habitation from start to finish of lease. And section 4.1 of the Defective Premises Act of 1972 outlines that the landlord must take reasonable care to prevent injury or damage caused by defects of the premises. Now, there is an undercurrent that goes between these three statutory instruments, the common law standing in Irvin and Marable, as well as uh, the dicta of Mills that we discussed earlier in relation to a general covenant. The importance has been placed quite heavily on the landlord's requirement to keep the premises or the property in tip-top shape for the tenant. Now, there are several remedies that are applicable to the tenant as well as the landlord in relation to a breach by either party. So, in relation to the landlord, if there is a, a, a breach of covenant, if there is a breach of the contractual agreement or the lease itself, he may enter the land and seize goods and sell to pay the arrears. This is subject to legislative action. He may sue for damages for breach of a covenant. There might be an injunction or a specific performance sought by the landlord. And there is forfeiture, which is considered the most powerful remedy. In relation to the tenant, if there is a breach on the part of the landlord, he might seek damages or an injunction and specific performance. A lease itself can be terminated in different ways. Now, we considered one earlier in the remedies for breach, which is forfeiture. This occurs when there is a breach of a covenant, specifically on the, on the part of the tenant, and it's not available unless the landlord provides the tenant with some sort of notice. This is the case with any contractual arrangement. Uh, have a look at section 146 of the Law of Property Act of 1925. Once granted, however, the other party immediately becomes a trespasser. Now note that a license and a lease differs in terms of exclusive possession. Now note here that once the lease terminates or extinguishes, there is no license either. So the person who is now 
on the property who was formerly the tenant now becomes a trespasser. However, forfeiture will be considered waived if the landlord construed to accept rent after the breach has occurred. So let's say, for example, the breach occurred in January and yet the tenant has paid uh, the rent for February as well. So the court will look at this on a case-by-case basis. Besides this, there are several other uh, ways that a lease can terminate. You have a notice to quit. You can surrender the lease. You can have a disclaimer in place. There might be an expiry of a lease, which is the most common way that a lease uh, comes to an end, which is it automatically pretty much ends upon the completion of the contractual or the lease period. There might be a merger, which means... Uh, There might be a particular land which is separated into two separate blocks and the landlord might be in A whereas he has leased out B and uh, the leaseholder, the tenant, might purchase the overall land, the A section as well, which means the tenant acquires the landlord's reversion as well. Then there is frustration as was seen in Panalpina. This is where something happens out of the control of both parties. Have a look at that case which is quite seminal and is available in your case summaries. Much like contract, there is repudiation and there is a break clause. That was a quick outline on how leases are created and how a lease also comes to an end. In the next lesson, we will conclude our outline and exposition of leases by discussing enforceability.